commands. We've looked at two already. The first one being the idea that God wants close and clean worshipers, that he wants people who just love him with all their heart, who worship him from the heart, uh, who keep his commandments because we love him and we kill off sin in our lives. Last week we looked at the idea of being spirit-filled missionaries, that God wants his people to evangelize and disciple other people in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he wants our lives and our lips to witness of him and to testify of him time and time and time again. Today we're going to look at the third one, although it really is number two. It's number two on the list because Jesus said it was. It's number two on the list because it's mentioned second most frequently. And the idea is that God's vision for his church is that we would be loving family members, meaning that God wants us to be people who are known for our love. Jesus went so far as to claim that our love and our unity would cause others to believe on him. And our goal is not merely to get along, although getting along is fine. Our goal is actually to exhibit an infectious love one towards another and that we love each other so deeply that we even start to sacrifice for each other. So there's a ton of press on this. It really was difficult for me to try to just select the verses and the concepts that I wanted to communicate to you. And, and I had to leave some off, but I'm going to do my best to take this wildly important idea that is just threaded all through the scriptures and try to help you understand that we should be loving family members as part of Christ's church. So let's turn to Matthew chapter number two to start our journey this morning. Matthew chapter number 22, you can turn there, tap there. If you don't have that, then we'll put it on the screen for you. We're going to start with verse number 37. This was actually core command number one, where a lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? And Jesus says, I don't, I don't know. No, he doesn't say that. What Jesus says is, here's the first. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So he knew, hey, first is love God with all you got. That's, that's the first. That's the most important. But then he said, second is likened to it. So this is the second most important. Jesus says it's number two. It's mentioned in frequency, the second most often behind number one. This is mentioned almost a hundred times in the New Testament. Here's what it is. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he says on, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. So that's a pretty straightforward command. Here it is. I want you to love your neighbor. I, I want you to love them as yourself. I, I want you to be people of love. The problem with this command is that this is tough to define because love has become this junk drawer word for our culture. We say that we love everything. We love God and we love our wife and we love our dog and we love our job and we love our car and we love the Steelers and we love, hey, nice jacket, love that jacket. We, we love everything. And as such, we don't really know what you mean by love. Like, do you mean love jacket love? Do you mean, like, love my wife love? What kind of love are you referring to? And, and most of the time when we say love, we employ it in a way that's like, hey, I like this right now because it benefits me right now. And I, I think the divorce statistics bear this out, that we love each other until it's tough to love each other anymore, and I'm not getting what, what I feel I should get in return for my love. And so we walk away from that. Or we love our car until our car won't start, then we hate our car. How many of us loved the Steelers when they were 11 and 0, and then they, you know, get trashed by the Browns in the playoffs, and now we hate the Steelers? You do this to me every year. You know, a month ago, Tomlin was the best coach in the world. Now we should fire him, and Big Ben should retire. And we do this, don't we? We go on these roller coaster rides, and we and we call it love, but 
it's, it's, it's tough to get our hands around this. So what we oftentimes do is we resort to defining love in subjective ways, in ways on how we feel love. And there's something to be said for saying, this is how you can communicate love to me, or this is what is a love language to me. This is how I speak love. But it's way too subjective to try to define love or how we should love each other that way, to say that love is walks on the beach. Love is shopping trips, hunting trips. Love is, you know, your warm leg for my cold feet at night, th- those sorts of things. That, that, that becomes way too subjective. So how do we do this? How do we define this? How do we work on this? How do we grow in this? If this is God's desire, and it is, that his people would be loving family members, that we would love each other deeply with a fierce love. I mean, this is of utmost importance. This is the second greatest commandment. Then how do we take this from an ethereal concept? How do we take this from just subjective language? How do we take this from intangible down to a tangible command, something we're working on, something we're pushing towards, something we're trying to grow in. And that's my task today is to try to help you do that, to take it from a concept or a belief or just a you know, conviction to something that actually has worked out in your life. So let's start here. Let's start with the means of love. This is kind of the how. How would I do this? All over the Bible, you will find when love is mentioned or how we should love things like this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Not just love your wives, but love them like I love the church. Jesus tells his disciples that I'm going to give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the how is kind of twofold. On on one hand, it is the model of our love is the love of Jesus. How should we love? We love like Jesus loved. He he sacrificed, he gave, he served, he confronted, he He had this pure, lay down his life on our behalf sort of love. So in turn, I want to also have this pure, lay down my life on your behalf sort of love for others. But it's deeper than that. It's not just that the love of Jesus is the model for our love. It is, but the love of Jesus is also the means for our love. And what I mean by that is that our primary source for learning how to love is the love of Christ. But also our primary resource for living out the love is the love of Christ. So it's a source for learning, but it's also a resource for living. And you would find that echoed throughout the pages of Scripture as well. You would find things like this in Philippians chapter 2, which at first glance just kind of seemed like cool words kind of piled up together, and I'm not sure what that means. But if you read it, it, it says, verse number 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, then Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. So what that is saying is that this love that we're to give to each other is more than just love like Jesus. He's the model. What it's saying is there's a love of Jesus that you should feel and know and experience that bursts love for other people. So he mentioned in there, the, if you have any bowels and mercies, that's our way of saying affections. If, if you feel this, if this is emotional for you, if you have any affections here, if this affects you on a heart level. And he, and he says, that's how verse 1 starts. Do you know the consolation in Christ? Do you know the help and comfort from Jesus? Do you know what it's like to have Jesus come alongside you and help you and comfort you? What Ryan just saying about peace in those times, peace for my mind. Do you know what that's like? 
Do you know what it's like, he says, to have the fellowship of the Spirit, to, to be a spirit carrier, to have the Spirit of God in you and someone else to have that and to fellowship with him? Do you know what it's like to have what he calls the comfort of love? Do you know what it's like to be comforted by the love of God? Do you, bowels and, and mercies, do you feel that? Then fulfill you my joy and be like-minded and have the same love to, towards each other. So it's an if-then thing. It's not just here's the model, live by this model. It's here is something that you should know, that you should feel, that you should experience. It should be part of your Christian walk. And from that experience, from that love of God, the comfort of that love and the, and the, and the consolation in Jesus, from that actually you then begin to be like-minded and you then begin to love and you then begin to be of, of one accord in unity. You're not going to have the latter without the former. You actually have to experience the love of God and have that comfort from it first. Let me see if I can illustrate. Let's suppose that I decide I'm going to love my wife the way that Christ loved. He loved uh, the church, and so as a husband, I'm called to love my, life, my wife in that way. Perfect, awesome, I want to do that. Husbands, I hope that you step up to the plate, and you do too. So let's say I go to town, and I'm going to just love her with all that I got, but she doesn't really respond to it. I start by wanting to serve her, so I, I help her with the laundry, and I, I change the diapers as much as I can, and I wash the car, and I'll help do the dishes, and I'll, I'll try to serve her and love her in that way, and she's cold and standoffish and, and doesn't really respond. So I decide, you know what, I'll shower her with affirmation and praise, and I will, I'll find the things in her life that are beautiful, and I'll emphasize those, and I'll, I'll downplay our differences, and I will tell her that she's my favorite human on the whole planet, and that, you know, I love her, and, and my love's never in doubt, and that I'll, I'll always be there for her, and I just shower her with praise and tell her how beautiful she is, and I get barely more than a thanks. So I'd say, okay, I'll, I'll do something else. I'll just, maybe it's touch. Maybe I just need to give her a good night kiss every night. And when I come home from work, I'll give her a giant hug. But she, I mean, she bristles at it. And she doesn't even really want that either. So you know, gifts will be it, okay? I will buy her flowers and I will bring her coffee. And if she mentions something, then I will, um, Amazon, it's here tomorrow. I'm going to get it for her. I'm just going to give her gifts and love her. How many of you ladies just want to be loved right now, okay? How many of you feel like, you know what? That's okay. Go ahead, guys. Do all those. Just put them all together in a package. But I do this, and I do this month one, month two, month three. And she doesn't respond. I mean, she's just, you know, there's, it seems like there's nothing there from her to me. I'm at the point to where I'm, I'm giving love away, and I'm giving love away, but I'm not getting any return from her, and I feel like my proverbial love tank is empty. I, I feel like there's, there's, there's how, how can I keep on giving? Now, I'm at the spot where either A, I'm going to cut bait, or B, I'm going to try to get some love so that I can continue to give love. Now, if I'm not getting it from her, then, you know, the, the top options for most people are either A, go to a, an extramarital affair and relationship emotionally or physically and, and get love that way, which is not good and detrimental, or secondly, to, to outsource it to the kids or the grandkids. And I'll just get my love from them, which is also detrimental, but a whole different sermon. What I should know as a Christian, and what I should do as a Christian, is to know that I have a resource for love that is outside of her and outside of my kids or my grandkids one day or anyone else, that there is a resource for love that is so potent and so valuable that I honestly can have my love tank filled every single day by it. And it is, it is the well of love that is in Jesus Christ. That it is so deep and so pure and so awesome and that love is so 
just so substantial to me that I can revel in that and glory in that and bask in that and take that in of how much he loves me and the lengths that he loves me. And he loves me when I was unlovable. I was in my sin and I wasn't even pretty. But he still chose to love me and sacrifice for me and die for me and serve me and, and tell me that, that he that he actually wants me and wants relationship with me and, and then he speaks over me that I'm his dear child, that I'm adopted, that he gives me a spirit, that on and on I could go. That he loves me in that way, that that should not just be a model or a template for how I love, but that is a resource for me as a Christian, right? That's something that I take in and that I, I bask in and as such now because that feels so good, I can take that and now give it out to wife, kids, neighbors, acquaintances, even the unlovely. Now I can love those that don't even love me because I don't really need their love in return. I'm already so fiercely loved and I'm just meditating on that so much that I now have the resources to be able to pour out. So the point is this, you're going to short circuit this idea of loving other people or loving each other if you don't first get that there's a how here, there's a means of love, and that you really do have the glory and the love of God for you. This is why Paul was so good and so often he put in Ephesians and in Romans these things like, I just want you to know in a greater way the, the height and width and depth and breadth of the love of God. And he wrote it to Christian people. People who already knew God loved them, people who already saved. But he said, I want you to know it more. I want you to have more of this and understand it. Why? Because it, it really is the how. It's the resource for love. So you have to understand his love for you first and foremost, that this isn't just a source for learning how to love, but this is actually a resource for living out my love. But then you also have to understand the motives of love. Why? Here's how. Why? And that's an important question. Basic, but it's important. Why love? There are multiple answers to this. I'm only going to give you two. The top two in Scripture that you would find are that I just want to please Jesus and I want to be a witness to the world. You find, why would I love other people? First and foremost, it's because I just want to please Jesus. That's why the command to love God with all your heart is first. Because when you, when you love him and you understand his love, when that is there and that is secure, then naturally you want to follow his commands out of a heart of love, not out of drudgery. So when he says, this is the second commandment, a commandment's a commandment. It's like, do that. When he says that I'm going to give you a new commandment, love them as I've loved you, love each other in that way, that's a commandment. What that means is he's expecting that. It's not optional. It's not, well, do it if, but, you know, if you're introverted or if you just aren't a people person or you'd rather be a hermit your whole life, then, you know, you're off the hook. Don't love people. No. All of his followers, he said, I want you to do this. And we should have the heartbeat of King Jesus, I love you, whatever you say I want to do, I just want to please you, and if that pleases you, then, then it's, it's not even necessarily about me or about them, it's about pleasing you first and foremost, I want to keep your commands. I want to love them because you told me to. And I would argue that's not weird, like Jesus isn't asking too much. We do this in our own relationships, don't we? Let's say that there's someone I meet, and we begin to date, we begin to fall in love, now there's love going on here. I want that love exchange to be pushed over to the other group of people that I also love. So when me and Maggie met, we, we began to talk, date. We had long distance for a year before we were in person, but we began to work that out. And there was a, a point in time where I was a little worried, is she going to love my family? Is my family going to love her? I wasn't really worried, but it was in my mind. Are they going to get along? Is she going to approve of the friends that I have, right? 
the person that I loved, I also wanted them to love this other group of people that I loved. So it's not weird for Jesus to say, I love you. You're my child. We have relationship. But, hey, they're in the family too. And I love them too. And so I want you to love them. That's normal. It's normal for him to say, I love you, but I also love them, so let's all love each other, right? So when he says, do this, part of the reason we should want to do it is because it pleases Jesus. It's good for me to love my brothers and sisters in Jesus. It's good for me to love the whole family and to not be isolated in who I love. This, this is who we are supposed to be, relational people that love each other. I would say it this way. If you're biblical or you want to be biblical, you'll be relational. If you want to follow the commands of Jesus, you want to take the Bible seriously, you want to to take what Jesus wants seriously, then you will be a relational person. You'll be concerned about loving them. You can't ignore it in in the Bible. This is why so much of, of the epistles are first half theology deep, all about Jesus, and the second half There is so much baked into the epistles of relationships, husbands and wives, what to do with each other, how to treat each other, Uh, parents and children, how to treat each other, bosses and employees, Jews and Gentiles, male and female. So much of it is about relationships and how we should forbear each other and put up with each other and be patient with each other and forgive each other and work out the the relationship. That is very important to the heart of God that we love each other in real practical ways. And if you're biblical, you will be relational. This is a great tool for diagnosing spiritual health in others and yourself. Parents, if you have a a teenager and they're getting close to another teenager, they're wanting to be friends, and you're, should I, you know, really put the green light on the friendship and say, hey, go ahead, hang out all the time, or pull it back a little bit? One good question you can ask yourself is, what does that kid's relationships look like? Does that kid respect or get along with mom and dad? Does that kid have a good relationship with grandma and grandpa? They can't have a good relationship with their other siblings. It's a great question to ask. Because if they can't, there's a problem. A deep one. This this is a great question if you're single and you're looking for someone to marry. If you think they're beautiful and they're awesome and they wow you, but they can't get along with anyone in their own family, that is a huge red flag. They they can say that they're team Jesus and Christian all they want, but but if they can't work out a relationship and they can't get along with people that are within their orbit on a consistent basis, that's problematic. This is something you can ask yourself. Do I struggle with relationships? Some of you no doubt do. If you struggle with relationships, that's that's something to be worked on. That's something to be improved upon because if you're biblical, you'll be relational. You'll actually want to love other people. If you lock horns with everybody, like, consistently, say, oh, it's not everybody, it's not consistent. It's just 70% of the time. All right, if it's 70% of the time, that's a problem, like a big one. There, there shouldn't be, like, all these frenemies in your life that used to be my friends, and now they're, they're my enemy, and now I avoid them, and them, and them, and them, and I got, like, one spot in church I can sit because they sit over there, and they sit there, and they sit there, so I'm, I'm down to this section now because I got to avoid them. Like, that is a problem. The, the heart of Jesus for his people is that we would love each other, that we would work it out relationally. So why? Because I want to please Jesus, yes. Also because I want to be a witness to the world. This is what Jesus said in John 13 when he said, I give you a new commandment, that you love each other as I've loved you. And he said very plainly, by this shall all men know if you're my disciples, by the love that you have one to another. Here's how the world is going to know. 
that you're on my team, that you're my follower, your love. So I would argue that there perhaps is a problem as a whole in evangelicalism in America. That if, if the world is turning away from Christianity, and we know by the data in our country that it is, there's a greater percentage of people that profess to not be Christians more and more, like each year. If they're turning away from Christianity, and they are, I would contend the first place we look is in the mirror. This may not be the only problem in the world, but this would maybe be the first one. Because if the quality of our relationships inside of Christian community, if the quality of our relationships inside of the church is no different than what they experience in the workplace or in their own family, then what's going to be appealing? (laughs) Why Why would they want that? See, if you're a Christian and you want to know if someone else is a Christian, here's how you do it. You ask them theological questions. You ask them about the true claims of Christianity. If, if I'm trying to determine, hey, John, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. Let me, let me see. Hey, what, do, what do you think about Jesus? Do you believe that he, that he actually came down, that he was God in the flesh? Do you believe that he died on the cross vicariously for your sins? Do you believe he took your sins? Do you believe he rose from the dead? I would ask Christians like that. That's how a Christian determines if someone else is a Christian. You know how a non-Christian determines if someone else is a Christian? Not that way. I don't know if you knew this. Non-Christians aren't supposed to know theology and know all about the true claims of Christianity. Right? Those two are not necessarily supposed to go hand in hand because they're not Christian. It, It never surprises me if someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian doesn't know that much about Christianity. So you know how a non Christian determines if there's something Christian or not? They look at your life, they look many times at your relationships. They look at how you love them. They look at how you love other people. They, they do exactly what Jesus said they would do. By this, are they going to know if you're my disciple or not? They're going to look and see, do you love people the way that you're supposed to? And if you don't, I would contend that they have every right to write you off and to say it's a sham and, and I, I don't buy in, I don't believe. So there's, a, there's an important, important portion to us loving each other that is beyond even you and me that is beyond even our relationship with jesus it's a witness to the world around us that that they should they should look at the church and they should see that in those relationships in that body that there's less gossiping that there's less infighting that people aren't at loggerheads with each other all the time and if they are they're able to work it out they're able to be more patient that the church isn't more segregated on sunday than it is you know on monday or tuesday or, or the rest of the week that they should see qualitatively something different and palpable and and unique and appealing to them about our relationships about love so how do we do this you got to start with the love of Jesus. Use it as a model and template, yeah, but revel in it and breathe it in so you can give it out. Why? Well, because we love Jesus. Why? Because we want to be a witness to the world. But let me talk about the marks of love. This is the what. Hopefully, I don't have to take too long to convince you that this should be a conviction of ours, individually and corporately, that we want to be a, a loving church family. And by the way, I, I think that we are. I think that we're better than most. I don't think we should rest on our laurels or that we should say we have no, you know, room to grow. But I, I do think that we do a, a good job here, and this is one of these that isn't super aspirational for us. It's not. It's something that is a part of our culture, which I love. But let's say we're at a point where we say this, this should be, I believe that. Okay, how do we work that out practically? The question is, are there biblical how-tos? 
Are there biblical practices that are married to love that we can actually pick up and put into our lives in practical, bottom shelf, down-to-earth ways to be able to actually live out being a loving community, being loving family members? Now, I don't have time to cover all the ways you can put this into practice. If you want to add to my list, invent your own, look at a different verse and find one, more power to you, okay? But I'm going to give you some that are, that are biblical, that are actual ideas in Scripture of how to just love each other practically. I will be about as down-to-earth as I've ever been as, as your pastor right now for the next few minutes. How, what might I do to actually be a loving family member? If I, if I want to do something, what might I do? Okay, let's just start real simple. Greet each other. Let's start there. You know what 1 Peter 5 says? It says, greet ye one another with a kiss of charity, kiss of love. What he's saying is there should be a heartbeat of love, and so greet each other. Now, he uses kiss. If you're Italian and you want to go every other cheek or you want to, you know, handshake, hug, COVID, you know, hey, from across the room, whatever. I, I don't think that matters. But I do think that the greeting is important. One of the, I don't know, maybe once every year, 18 months, I'll, I'll hit on this because this actually is mentioned very frequently in Scripture, just the idea of greet each other, greet each other, greet each other. I could show you a dozen times where we're commanded to do that. I could show you 40 or 50 times where it's being done. It's not even commanded, but it's just, hey, I greet them, they greet you, that sort of stuff. This is an intensely simple idea, but an intensely biblical and important one. This, this is something that is just basic. You say greeting. What do you mean greeting? I mean like, Hi, how are you today? I mean, I know you can't see my smile under my mask, but I'm smiling because I'm glad to see you today. I mean, hey, how you doing? Been praying for the family. You, you know, are you guys feeling better? Say, I don't know their family. I don't know them. Okay. Hey, I'm, I'm Mark. How long have you been going to church here? Good to meet you. Simple. Hi. Greetings, right? Say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm introverted. I don't, I don't like to talk to people. I don't, there's, there's not like a, an exception clause on, on that. This is something that I think God expects of his people. This is something that communicates like a loving family. Remember the prodigal son when he came home? Dad threw him a feast. Dad told him he was welcome. He gave him his ring. He did all this stuff. But what did he do first? He ran to him, and he fell on his neck, and he hugged him, and he kissed him. What did he do? He greeted him with love. I don't think the boy needed the ring or the, or the fatted calf or the feast or anything else to know that dad loved him, that there was loving family member going on right there. I think you could tell by the greeting that dad gave to him, a greeting of love. This actually is something that Jesus marries to the idea of loving each other. Jesus challenged in the Sermon on the Mount that we should love everyone. We should even love our enemies. And he said in Matthew chapter number 5, if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? So he's saying love your enemies. If you just love the people that are your friends, that's easy. Okay, everybody does that. But then he goes directly, next verse, directly into how might you do that? If you salute your brethren only, salute is a greeting. If you greet your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? What he's saying is don't just love that clique. Don't just greet those people who you know or those people who, who, you know, you're close to. You should be mindful. You should love everyone. You should greet everyone is what he says. Don't be selective. Don't be clicky. Don't just generally go through life trying to love and, and greet everybody. I would even say when you come into church on a Sunday, like make it your mission. 
I'm going to say hi to as many people as I can. Give yourself a quota if you want, okay? I did 10 last week. I'm going to do 11 this week. I'm going to push myself. If you came in today and you have not greeted someone yet, then next week make your mission one. Actually, do it today. When you walk out, say hi to somebody. Greet. Simple. And, and everybody. So this means, okay, there's quite a few youngsters in the room, teenagers in the room. Teenagers, don't just go say hi to your friends that are teenagers. I know you're more comfortable with them. Walk up to somebody 30 years older than you and say, hey, how you doing today? Good to see you. Teenagers, you can do that. Adults, you can do the same in, in reverse. I oftentimes see families that come with little kids, and, and maybe I notice this because my kids are little right now, but it's easy for little kids to be the shadow. And they say hi to the adults, and they just kind of tag along. You, an adult, get on one knee. How you doing today? What's your name? How old are you? Six? You married yet? Like, that's, <laughs> greet them. Talk to them. You know how important this is because if you've ever walked into a party at work or, or a friend's house or been invited over for something or into a church that was cold, you know how, just how bad that feels. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they sing. If the feeling isn't warm and friendly and love, then, then you're turned off by it, aren't you? You like to feel welcomed. You like to feel loved. So be someone who actually extends that to other people. Accept them and greet them. You say, Pastor, that is like way too simple. I can't believe this is part of a sermon. This, this is something very tangible that you could do to actually be a loving family member. I've, I challenge you, make it your goal to meet somebody new every week. In a church our size, you can do that. I get to do that every week. I get to meet somebody new. It's not that I don't care about the people who are already here that I know, but I care about those people who, who really are kind of like off in the corner by themselves and, and don't feel comfortable yet. I, I want to be loving and friendly and welcome them and greet them. And I, I hope that you do as well. I hope that you'll find somebody. Oh, they're sitting by themselves. I'll go sit, introduce yourself. Say, hey, how you doing? All right, you get, the, you get the point. Greet. Two, be hospitable. How could you work out loving each other, being a loving family member, showing it to people? Be hospitable. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. He says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another. Now, just pause for a minute, okay? Let this sink in. He says, Above all things. This is towards the end of his epistle. 1 Peter is an intensely practical book, and he's told them a, a lot of things that they should do or not do. And he says, I'm going to give you something that's above everything else. All right, guys, I'm going to tell you something. It's not what I said previously. It was trivial. But I'm just telling you, this is more important. This is above everything. Have fervent charity towards each other. Have fervent love for each other. And then he immediately tells you a practical way to work that out. Use hospitality one to another. One of the ways you can do this is just be hospitable. Now, there's a problem here for a lot of people because you think hospitality and you either A, think hospitality industry, resorts, vacations, hotels, everything's cared for, everything is in its place, wait on you hand and foot, or you think Martha Stewart, okay? And it's not to say that if, if you, you know, can make your home into resort quality or you are Martha Stewart, good for you. But most of us aren't, okay? Most of us realize very quickly, you know what? It's, it's not clean every second of every day. You know what? The kids are running around, or the kid, I don't have toys for kids if I invited somebody over, or I hate to cook. I'm not Martha Stewart. I'm not Betty Crocker. That, that's not me. Look, 
you don't have to have a huge home. You don't have to know how to, you know, be a chef extraordinaire. You don't have to have a manicured life. You don't have to have any of that stuff to be hospitable. Don't buy into you have to be picture-perfect magazine in order to be hospitable. No, that's a lie. If you can't cook, order pizza. Pop some popcorn. If you don't have money for it, then just hang out, pray together, don't even have any food. It's fine. It really is, is a, a relatively low bar that we elevate sometimes so much. And lots of times it's because we care about what they think and we have too much fear of man going on. But, but don't, don't do that. Take it for what it says and be hospitable. You say, what do you mean be hospitable? Open your home to them. Open your apartment to them. You say, I, I don't, that's not my cup of tea. I don't want to mess with my house. Okay, invite them out to eat. Go to a restaurant. Go to, go to a park with the kids. Maybe there's someone coming in from out of town that's a guest that you can open your home to and, and provide lodging for them. Take food to a neighbor or someone who's sick and invite them over, watch the game, share a meal with them, that sort of stuff. Those things are practical ways to love people, to invest in them, to get to know them, to be closer to them, to be loving family members. One of the, I've told you this before, if I could change one thing about mine and Maggie's life is that we would have our family closest to us. It would be that they weren't, you know, a flight or a, or a long drive away, that they would be closer. And we get to see them, and you guys are very gracious to us as well, and we appreciate that, that you understand our family's not here. So there's a couple Sundays every year that I'm with them and spending time with them, and, and you guys are always the best with that. But they're my family, right? And I know not everybody's family is, is great, and not everybody wants to spend time with, my, with their family. But I think we could all agree the ideal scenario is if the family loved each other and the family wanted to spend time together, right? That's the ideal scenario. And, and that's the case for my family. That's the case for my wife's family. We want to spend time with them. Sometimes it's inconvenient for us to do it. Sometimes it takes a, a, a flight, some money to be able to do it. But we want to spend time with them because they're our family. We love them. The same thing should be tr- true of a church family. You're not going to be able to spend time with every single person in this room this week, but there should be inside of you that I want to spend time with some of these people. I want to fellowship in Jesus with some of these people. I want to know them and love them and pray with them and, and be alongside them. That that should be part of who we are as people. I'd go so far as to argue that Jesus' ministry and the apostles' ministry was contingent upon people being hospitable. Jesus didn't have a house. He didn't have a place to, to lay his head, and he was extremely dependent upon upon those that he knew loving him in such a way that they were hospitable. He was dependent upon, to a degree, I know he could like take a loaf and make it into 5,000. I get that. He was God. But he depended on people. Mary and Martha opened the home, feed a meal, right? How did he get into Jerusalem? On a borrowed donkey? Where do you have his last meal? In a borrowed upper room with food that probably, I don't know for sure, but probably wasn't purchased with, with his own money. Where do you get buried? In a borrowed tomb? People that were hospitable. The apostles' early ministry was the same way. They wanted to take the gospel to the world. Your first century, there's no Marriott's. Right? Like, there was an occasional inn here and there, but there were no hotels. And and by and large, when you travel, I travel, we're going to stay in a hotel or an Airbnb or something, or we're going to stay with family. First century, you don't have the hotel option, really. And and you the nuclear family stayed put. You didn't have family all over the place in every state and all over the place. So as they begin to go out, they're extremely dependent upon people receiving the gospel, opening their homes, hosting them, having church in their homes, fellowshipping in that way. So this was a, a big part 
of Christianity in the first century, and it has changed to a degree now, centuries later, but it still should be a big part of who we are and how we love each other. Then we just want to open our lives, open our homes to each other, be hospitable to each other. You know why? Let me make this even more practical. You know why we had to introduce Ryan? We only got one, not three today, but we had Ryan. Why do we do that if someone's joining the church? Hey, raise your hand, point them out. Because we love to embarrass them, right? No. Most people don't really like to be singled out like that, honestly. Most people don't. I do it for their benefit and yours so that you can know, oh, there's someone new, and th- but they like want to be part of the family. I should go meet them if I haven't. I should shake their hand and welcome them. Hey, glad you're part of the family. Maybe even, hey, here's my number. You probably got 10 requests from everybody. I know we're friendly to go to lunch or something like that. But here's my number. If you'd like to go to lunch after a service sometime, I'd love to take you out. And I I know that you guys are pretty good at this. I know this from personal experience because we were new at one point in time, and we didn't walk in as Pastor Mark and, and, you know, Maggie. We just walked in as normal people that you didn't know. And I can remember the Eshelmans inviting us over week two. I'd never had chipped ham before, but I had chipped ham at the Eshelmans. I remember six years ago, sat down, had a meal together. That's important. It's important. i got to move on. Third, look for practical needs to meet. Just look for practical needs. Philippians 2 tells us that we should have the same love, and then the next verse goes on to say that means that we should esteem each other better than ourselves, and we don't just look after ourselves, but we look after them as well. Now, honestly, I want to commend you for being awesome at this. Our church will give away $300,000 or more this year to missions and and, uh, generosity and benevolence, but I know that there are tens and tens of thousands of dollars that shuffle hands that don't go through offering plates or through the church. I know that. Yesterday, okay, yesterday, noon-ish, I get a text. Hey, got some stimulus money, could use it, but... There's probably someone else that could use it more than me. You know of any needs in church? Someone that, you know, we could anonymously just give some money to and be a blessing to. I went to the office very shortly after that. This was sitting on my desk. This is yesterday, okay? Sitting on my desk is this box. Probably from one of you. I don't know who it is. There's no name on it. It just tells me who it goes to. It tells me who to give this to. Someone who's going through a tough time in our church. There's a little note. says that they loved and prayed for them. If I wasn't supposed to read your note, I'm sorry I did. And uh, then there's a stack of gift cards hundreds of dollars in gift cards. Just someone that knew there's a need that I can meet, so I'm going to do it. I don't know how long they saved the gift cards. I don't know if they bought them all. I don't know if they're Christmas leftovers. I have no idea. All I know is it's someone that wanted to meet a practical need. Now, you guys are good at this, and that's, that's yesterday. Do two things like that happen every day? I don't know. Probably not, but a lot do, I know. A lot do. So keep that up, all right? If I would say this, if you're here though and you're saying, you know what, I, I don't ever look for practical needs and try to take my life and my time, my energy, my resources and sow that back into, plow that back into Christian community, I don't, I have no desire to be hospitable and I, I'm not going to do that. I don't even want to greet people. I'm just going to come in, sit down, leave me alone. Man, if that's you, especially if you've been a Christian for years or a church member for years, that's just not supposed to be. I don't think it is by and large for our church, but that's not supposed to be. We're supposed to be a a family that loves each other, members that are together. Last one. I have to be done. Join a group. All right, today is our group's open enrollment day. Uh, We purposely, I purposely put this on today because I wanted the sermon to go along with it because I think it fits so much. Your Christian walk should be private. 
in that there's something special between you and Jesus, but not exclusively private. If, if you want to be personal with the Lord, yes, 100%. But if your Christian walk is 100% private and there's, there's no other people involved in that, it's, just, it's very individualized, just sort of Jesus and me, no one else, that's a problem because in many ways, loving each other and Christian growth even is a community endeavor. In many ways, it's meant to be lived out in, in the context of community. And I'm going to tell you this because I love you. It is very possible for you to be a part of this church and to even have a lot of friends in this church, but to have a network of exclusively casual relationships. And that is detrimental. That's, that's not going to help your Christian walk. You cannot be deep with every single person. I get that. But our groups are designed to be places where you can go deeper with some people. That you can know them a little bit more. That you can know a few more of their prayer requests. You can know a little bit of what's happening in their life and be involved in it. And they can know what you're willing to share. That you're willing to open up maybe little by little and share little pieces of your life and what you're struggling with. And that you can pray for each other. That you can share your resources with each other. Like that is supposed to be something. It's, it's terminal for you if you don't have any sort of community or any sort of group that is together with you trying to personally know you so that you can be spiritually grown. You, you really need that. And, and the converse is true. They need you. You have wisdom and perspective and experiences that you will bring to the table that, that you need to share with them as well. You say, well, how do I do that? I just walk up to someone and be like, hey, I'm Bob. You know, my marriage is struggling. Will you pray for me? We all know that would feel weird. We all know it would be weird to do that with a stranger. But groups are designed to be a place where you can actually, whether you've been here a long time and a, you've been a member of the church for decades, or you're brand new, a place where you can actually connect and you can start to do that together. Where you can, you can open up your Bibles and learn, but you can open up your lives and begin to share your lives as well. And if, you, if you've never done that, I would really encourage you, there's a table in the lobby today. It would be a practical way to work it out. There's a big banner there. There'll be a couple workers there. Stop by and fill out the little three-by-five card. It doesn't mean you're going to a group for sure. All it means is we'll give you some options and you can decide if they're right for you. We have groups, if you don't already know this, meet on Sunday mornings that meet in the middle of the week. We have a lot of Wednesday nights. We have all kinds of men's, ladies, couples, hodgepodge. There's all kinds of groups. But I would love for you, if you're not already in one, to get you plugged into one. It'd be a great step for you because you would actually begin to work out some of these things in a tangible way to love them and they love you and to begin to experience what it's like to have loving family members and not just be together but in functional isolation but to actually be part of the body. So I hope that you will. I want to take 60 seconds before I close. I want to talk to the people that are watching me on live stream right now. I understand that this season has been difficult for everybody but if you are older or really health concerned, I understand it's maybe been especially difficult for you. And some of you have been wondering at what point in time do I enter back into church? At what point in time do I go and, and start to reconnect? It has to come someday, but when is that? And groups may be, for you, a great way to actually start that process, that I don't want to be in the big room with hundreds of people, but I, I could be in a room with 12 people and begin to, to reenter and really work this out and have that Christian community. So if you're online with us, please go to our website. There's a groups page on the website, or you can even text us. Forgive me if you're in person in these 60 seconds. But you can even text us. Uh, we'll put on the screen for you at home. You can see that. Just text the word groups to that number. 
and uh, we'll get you plugged into one because we want, we want to be mindful of you as well. Guys, leave that on the screen for them while, while I finish. Here's the bottom line. God wants his people, us, to be a loving family. He wants us to grow in this. He wants his love to fuel this. He wants the world to see that this is different, that, that there's, some, there's a witness there. And we have to do it in practical ways. Maybe you don't take one of my four. Maybe you have your own practical way. That's fine. But, but these are intensely biblical and practical ways just to say, you know what, I actually don't want it to be a concept. I want it to be something that's day-to-day in my life that I live out. So let's love each other more. I think we're good at it, but, but let's, let's be better at it, right? Let's actually take, grow, and, and decide individually that we can grow in this together and we can be loving family members. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're a Christian in the room, I just want you to talk to the Lord. Perhaps you want to just glory in his, in his love and just soak it all in. Perhaps you want to tell him that, man, I've, Lord, I'm sorry, I haven't been good at this. I've, I've, been, 